Cappuccino Primo, non-fat Magnifico, double espresso, regulare. I'll take you over here, sir. Um, I think I'll have an espresso. Paul, you want anything? They got any uh, just coffee? Our cafe du jour is New Zealand Peaberry. What on? What up? That's 420, pick it up over there. One medium du jour, one single espresso, regulare. Yeah, keep it. What's happening, everybody? We made it to our 10th episode, unscathed. I had to go to my archives to figure this out because I was interested. Do you know how long it took me to get to my 10th episode of My Life as a Foodie? Seven months. <laughs> oh, there were a lot of delays that first year. Here I am in I'm 10 episodes in 10 weeks. And this is why I wanted to do something like this. Granted, look, a lot went into the food show, but uh, still, this is nice. I've got my brother coming on here in about one minute to talk gourmet coffee. So prepare to learn some things about coffee, stuff that you didn't know and didn't know you wanted to know, or maybe you don't even want to know. Yeah, I'm so disappointed in myself, you know. I watched the Golden Globes on Sunday, and it was an absolute shit show. I don't know what I expected, but it was bad. Technical issues, divisive commentary, unfunny jokes. It was just, it was horrible. You know, I want I just expect that it's going to be like, you know, things are going to get back to normal, but they're not. Hey, remember I told you about the, the, the rat problem we have here in the town that I live in and how it's worse than Paris? So I'm talking to my neighbor about it and she's been to Paris and she had no idea that Paris had an issue with them. Like, like Pixar made an animated movie about a rat who was a chef in Paris. I, I don't know. Clue, maybe? Anyway, I said, uh, don't ever visit the sewers in Paris. She says, I did visit the sewers. I wanted to know what the sewers looked like. And we, we walked through them. I looked at her like, you're shitting me, right? You visit Paris, the most cultured city in the world and you enter their sewer system. <laughs> so I said, hey, well, what'd you guys do when you went to Paris? Ah, you know, normal stuff. Eiffel Tower, Louvre, walk through the sewers. <laughs> Honestly, that woman's got to stop drinking. Okay, he's my big brother with bigger ideas. Chuck, welcome, man. The floor is yours. Well, good to be here, Phil, but nobody has bigger ideas than you do i don't know about so, that i uh, just uh have to follow uh, follow the lead yeah <laughs> listen most of my most of my ideas are crap so yeah i'm i'm happy to have you on give me some content all right look before so wait a minute go ahead if i'm going to give you some content yeah we're going to have to change the name of the show just for this show well, that's not happening. It's still inane. Although, you know, this really isn't that inane. I mean, this is actually, this is quite good. This isn't silly at all. But I'm going to do my best to make it silly. I listen to you because I think that, not just because I'm your brother, but I think that a lot of people have a lot in common with each other, and they don't really know that until they hear someone else breathe right. the same kind of sigh of relief or sign or sigh of discomfort. Uh, yeah, how things are. That's true. And I try not to like, you know, 
insult people or, you know, and I know a lot of my ideas are kind of silly. I mean, everyone's not going to agree with me, but they just, I want them to know I'm a, I'm a good person. But before we get into this, dude, I want to make a clear distinction between something, and I don't want people to be confused by this. There's a clear distinction between drinking coffee and tasting it. And what I mean by this, it's it's the difference between someone who chugs beer because they want to catch a buzz and, and someone who sips it because they want to enjoy the handiwork of a craft brewer. And a lot of my audience can identify with that. Um, and in regards to food, it's the same thing. Like some people, they'll eat anything. They just, the people eat to make a turd. And then some people look at food as an opportunity to have an actual experience. So people who are coffee drinkers, who are listening to us right now, when this is over, they're going to they're gonna want to flip the switch. There's no question about that. So Chuck, what I want you to do uh, is, mm-hmm. to t- is to tell them why they should listen for the next hour. I think... In one sentence, just to give everyone a break, you absolutely do not have to know a lot about coffee to enjoy it. Just just that one thing. For me, I think coffee tasting notes, or maybe what I smell, because that is also what you inevitably taste. Yeah. Is all subjective, right? Right, right. And at the end of the day, you, only you, are an expert in your own taste. Right. So when you sort of draw back as the person who buys coffee, not the person who reviews coffee, you realize that you may not have all the words and the training and the skills, maybe. Yeah. But you know what you like. Um, and so it, at the end of the day, it's it's really you're an expert in your own taste. Right. And I think that we can examine some baseline points of interest that sort of that we all have in common about how do you hone that expertise within yourself. Hmm. Wow. That's, that's very cerebral for this show. <laughs> well, you guys know the phrase, never judge a book by its cover, right? I mean, I just used it a few episodes ago. Do the, the cover of your book, your bag labels, it, it's different, right? You really do set yourself apart from the rest in this regard? Yeah, so my label, which I, I will just tell you, I'm not, uh, you know, as a former art director, I still think that I can do a more cosmopolitan uh, approach to li- my labeling. But I really do believe that the information on the label sets itself apart from, and I'm going to say this indubitably, everyone. I don't see one label that gives the kind of information that you should be giving it. There are parts of that information, but it it doesn't go all the way. And so I think in a nutshell, I would ask just about anybody, everyone, to look at the packaging on coffee beans. Look at the roast date, the traceability, which is, I think, parenthetically, a single origin, right? Because how do you trace a blend? Uh, And when I say blend... Who knows what that is? Yeah, I'm going to need a thesaurus to keep up with you. These words, parathetically, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So on my bags, Phil, I've added a Q graders cupping score. And people will say, what the hell is a Q graders cupping score? Well, there are 10, you know, there's a group out there called the Specialty Coffee Association. And about 20 years ago, they formed to come up with a uh, linear manner 
regulated, if you want to call it that. Maybe it's a more popular term, but it, it's, it's at least a standard by which you grade 10 elements of that coffee, including the smell and the brood aroma, the fresh aroma, things like that, how it tastes, how sweet it is. And um, those can add up to a total of 100. Nothing ever gets 100. Hmm. Uh, and rare, rare is anything really at, at 93. It's exceptional at 93. It's, it's, if you see a coffee with 93, buy it. Experience that. Uh, if you get to 94, 95, uh, again, you're, you're going to see this. It, even if you're hunting for it, you might see it once a year. You might see one bag a year uh, that, that ranks that high because it has to score 10 points in, in 10 categories or 9.5. Uh, so, so those key points, the roast date, critical. I know we're going to talk about that. And traceability, is it a single origin blend? Does it say something like Mandalay Katura? That tells you the varietal to Katura. It tells you where it's from. It's from Mandalay in Myanmar. So I think when we talk about packaging and don't judge a book by its cover, just read the label. And, and, and if you do the reading, you should be good. When it comes to my bags or, or anyone else's, uh, read, read them. Okay. That's, you know, that's, um, but you hit a lot of points. Here. I'm trying to make notes, uh, specialty and also, well, I'm going to talk about this now because it's, it's, it's something that, uh, it drives me crazy. So, You've, your, your site, elevatedroast.com, in the first iteration of your site, when I first started to read you know, what you were doing, and even the latest one, there's a theme that you have throughout the whole thing, and the theme is freshness. And it seems like you're caught up in the, this idea of freshness, but now I'm caught up in it too. I mean, you've really changed my thought process. And I'm not here to take a dump on popular roasters like Blue Bottle, Stumptown, Intelligista, all the stuff that I started drinking when I got into gourmet coffee. But before I started drinking your coffee, I loved all those. But now I see that they've become really mainstream. You can find them everywhere. Grocery stores, even Target carries this. You can find Blue Bottle at Target. And what I'm hung up on now is uh, checking this roast, roast, uh, roasted on date that you'll see on these bags. And I do it all the time now. And sometimes I'll often see bags that are up to three months old. And you told me early on that people have been drinking stale coffee for years and didn't know it. And it, it makes me wonder why people are still paying so much money for stale beans. So, uh, my God, there, you know, it's not often that I see a Coors commercial, but during the Super Bowl, uh, you'll see quite a few of them. And there was a time, maybe three years ago, four years ago, that Coors liked to do this little uh, brood on date. They may still do that. Right. And it doesn't matter. And <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't matter what you brew bad bad beer on, but but right, it does matter when you're talking about fruit. And um, you know, when you take a banana or an apple uh, and you keep it too long, it when it goes stale, it goes dark and it goes mushy, and those sugars eat away at the uh, product. One thing, real quick. So I need to mention this mm -hmm. in regards to beer. Uh, freshness does matter on some beers. Some beers are made to age. Some beers can handle that aging. But a beer like Budweiser, it, it does have a, a shelf life. But what I said, it doesn't matter. It's because 
it's going to taste like crap, whether it's fresh or not fresh. Your coffee garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, yeah coffee's different. You know, principally, I, I think with coffee, you need whole beans, right? Yeah. Uh, they can't be broken down for you. You cannot buy ground coffee and think that you can emulate really good coffee because the moment you grind it is the moment you it takes on oxygen, it breaks down, and you start losing flavor right. from that point on. Now, of course, it's minimal right away, but in about two days you'll notice it. It'll drop off. If you're drinking two cups a day, there's a sense of expectation that you have when that coffee hits your palate. And when that you make it the same number of ounces to the same number of ounces of water, and it falls off, you ask why. How did you screw this up? Well, you didn't. Because if you, if you think about it, taking the whole beans and a recent roast date, anywhere from maybe three days after it was roasted to two weeks, a 12-ounce bag is only going to last a person who's making about two cups of coffee a day about seven to ten days. So That's all it lasts. And so when you think about it, that seven to ten days, if you bought the coffee that was two weeks old, is still well within the three to four-week window that it's going to taste pretty good. All right, so I was going to ask um, how long it takes roasted beans to go stale. So you're saying three to four weeks? Yeah, three to four weeks. Okay, all right. That's okay. Good to know. And I'm I'm going to actually expand on that just a just slightly, but you'll taste this drop off in vibrancy. That's the first thing. If that tells you something, then make this assumption: coffee without a roast date is very likely not only stale, but you have no idea of just how stale. Uh. And some coffees say drink by this date. That date sometimes, I, I mean, I have proof of this if I just go to the grocery store, drink by October 2021. Have you recently seen that? Yeah. You know, I've seen that on quite a few things. Um, milk, like they don't say, you know, we squeeze the udders of the cow on this date, drink by this date. Right. So you have a greater problem when the time extends 10 months on this particular product. So you might ask, what about the beans whose bag or can has been flushed by nitrogen? Now, I'm diving a little bit deeper because they don't tell you that on the can. I mean, Illy was the first one, and their espresso is famous, probably because they started it, or they were the first to master it. But they uh, have a machine that puts nitrogen in the can uh, as it seals. Hmm. And that nitrogen will kill the oxygen in the can while it's there. Okay. So number one, when you get a bag or a can of coffee that's been flushed, that has nitrogen flush in it, the coffee is still very much old. But in your first few openings, it's going to taste pretty fresh. And you're going to say, hey, I beat the system of old coffee. I'll tell you what, though, it falls off quickly and noticeably. So you got to drink and that you, have- you got to drink that can in a week. No, you should drink it within three days. A whole can of coffee. <laughs> I am not kidding. I am not kidding. It's like the Mountain Dew of about, coffee. Yeah, exactly. And and I just wanted to say, when we talk about the traceability part, what I mean by that is, does it say Henry's Blend? No offense to the Henry's out there. Uh, because Henry's Blend, or, or Chuck's Blend maybe, could be anyone's guess. It's kind of like a chicken McNugget, okay? Yeah. It Does it call out the region? Does it call out the farm or the varietal? 
don't you like to know that you're drinking Pinot Noir? Yeah. Do you, you know, uh, even when, when you get a wine, um, starts with an M uh, in California, it's a five blend Meritage. Even California, when they allowed wineries to create these five, um, uh, five wine blends, they mandated which five grapes went into them. So some coffee varietals are co-ops, you see, where farmers all empty truckloads of the same beans and then sell collectively. In fact, I have one, the Brazilian pea berry. All the farmers in this one region, a very, very small region, I mean, just a few miles long, okay? Yeah. They all live on the same tier of, of the mountain, but there's only one or two trucks that come in there and haul all the stuff away. So they all grow the same pea berry or the same, the same varietal. And then, you know, it's, it gets plucked and it gets all put together and then they, they split the profits. So that's a co-op, but it's the same varietal. At least say what the region and the varietal is. Right. You know, you mentioned Chicken McNuggets, right? Well, that just made me think of a great bit. When you record myself going into like different McDonald's and order some Chicken McNuggets, but then ask them, you know, where's the chicken from? Or, you know, what region is the chicken from? That's true. Right, because they, they, they're not going to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. When you think about it, isn't something more definitive on a label uh, doesn't mean more than something that, that you're getting a product of origin versus a blend of parts unknown. Right, and people just don't care about this stuff because they just don't care what they're putting in their body in the first place, which is sad. You know, there's a common thing that people say all the time. It, you know, it, yeah, it all tastes like coffee. It all smells like coffee. But in our conversations, you've always said that people tend to take this for granted. And mm -hmm. you know, this goes back to what we were just talking about. And you got to wonder if people have just been conditioned to poor quality or processes that, you know, are just expedited to save time. It's like eating canned green beans over fresh ones. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. those are, that's just a horrible, it's a horrible example, but it's like, you know, frozen right. carrots or something like that. The bar has been set so low for so long, hundreds, well, not hundreds of years, but at least given the 1860s were when the Dutch really popularized coffee. So, you know, for at least 150 years, the bar has been set really low for coffee. I'll give you a, a, a point of interest. When you stick your nose really close to the grind, not the beans, although the beans can smell really good, when you grind those fresh beans and now you have fresh grind and you can really smell the coffee, you know what you smell? You smell all sorts of fruit. Yeah. Or... If it's not fruit, you'll smell savory items, okay? Right. And it'll come up to you. You may not recognize what it is, but just think. And, and again, we on this show are narrowing it down for people who don't care to study coffee. They care to drink it. But they would like to know how they know they're getting a really great bag of coffee. Well, I say <laughs> smell the fruit. Right. Fresh beans hold a lot of flavors, it's noticeably different than a smoky grind that reveal basic hickory notes or tired, fatigued, stodgy wooden notes. And that's what the struggle is with. So, yeah, it all smells like coffee. It all drinks like coffee. But how do you know it's all good coffee? What I taste to coffee 
is not necessarily what you would taste in the coffee. It's it's still all fruit. And we should agree that it's fresh aromatics and the subsequent notes uh, should ascend to something other than bitter, flat, or acrid. If you keep those three terms in your mind when you're evaluating how good the coffee was that you just spent $10 for, then you know. And you know if you've got a great bag of coffee that is not bitter, flat, or acrid, absolutely, that's fantastic. So, Since that would be a, a winning price, right? Right. So what, let's say someone's drinking coffee that's drab or flat. I mean, what can they do about that? Well, they can excite the coffee. Okay. Excited. Um, I'm going to take your clothes off and excite it? <laughs> some people can taste the acids without the sugar, uh, and some can't. But you can excite the coffee. And so if you take maybe, you know, just take a teaspoon and take just a tiny bit of amount of sugar and make sure it's fully dissolved and make sure that you stir it really well and get some air into that coffee, uh, you should always go with short, really short sprinkles until that little dance goes on in your mouth. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, that's the best way I can explain no, it. No, I like it. Oh, I like it. No, that's good. We, we've all had something dance in our mouths, right? Oh, yeah. And dairy, if you add dairy, just know that while that's going to be uh, soothing, it's also going to mask right. the fruits. It masks the fruit sensation because fruit has a, a totally different uh, sensation. Remember, I, I just want you to take, take away here is that when you taste fresh roast, you should slightly salivate. Huh. Now think about that. Dude, I, sal- coffee- I salivate when I smell your stuff. <laughs> well, see, fresh coffee's lively. And the acids will, will dance a bit on your palate. Uh, you ever taken a glass of, oh, all right, so we're all drink, drinking wine or we're drinking something that we really like. You don't, you don't have to be a wine or beer drinker. You can just be a, a, a soda pop drinker. But take that. And instead of, instead of drowning your middle palate, which knows nothing, by the way, instead of drowning it, swish it around in your mouth. You know, maybe... No one's watching you. Just swish it around a little bit in your mouth. Let right. it sit in there and then push it down. Watch how alive that drink is and watch what you discover about that drink. The acids are the amplifier. This is the reason why you put salt on food. This is the reason why you put lemon on seafood. You're amplifying what the seafood tastes like. Well, you know, in, so, go ahead. So, so really small amounts of sugar, I'm, I'm coming back to the sugar, are going to excite the acids. Now, people are going to hear this, maybe coffee people are going to hear this, and they'll say, how dare you put sugar in coffee? I'm sorry, but there are millions of people who still like sugar in their coffee because their palate is different. It doesn't It's not a, it's not a cut on, a, on the roaster or on the bean, but uh, you know, some of us don't have smell-o-vision, Phil. Right. You know, I've tasted a, and, a couple of the beans that you've sent, uh, I've had without sugar, and they honestly, and I like a little sweetness in my coffee, the sugars in the beans were so so enough that I didn't need to add anything to it. And it was a yeah. wonderful cup of coffee. And there, I can't say that about a lot of beans, but there, this particular bean, and I'm going to talk about it here in a bit, fantastic. I, mean, I, I remember messaging you and said, dude, it needs no sugar. I've never, <laughs> I've never had that happen before. Yeah, that's and isn't that really the difference between roaster? I mean, if it's burned wood, you have a coffee that's roaster imposed flavors for a reason, and those reasons just 
number a few, like lacking in quality yeah. uh, or lacking in philosophy versus nature-imposed flavor. So, you know, I've, I've brewed your coffee in every way I, I imagine, six ways to Sunday, right? But of the two most used methods that I use, pour over, uh, which results in a clean and a clear cup, and then AeroPress, which I really like. It gives me a, a dark, murky cup of coffee. I love the results from both of them. And I wonder what's going on in these processes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, they're two distinctly different styles. You know, AeroPress is extraction method, and pour over is, is what they call filter coffee. Uh, is that the water one runs in one direction? It uses gravity. It depending on how you um, attempt your pour over or how you complete it, you can have a lot of agitation or very little. I use the millidrip because I believe in less agitation being better because the, the the fines don't move around as much and the fines that you can barely see with your eye are very bitter and they dissolve immediately huh. uh, when when water hits them. So you sort of want coffee to slow down in the filter barrel press on the other hand is is murky yeah it's like, it comes it's, into d- direct contact it's like french press basically just upside it's like down french press. it's immersive mm-hmm. yeah so the, if you see small particles at the bottom of your glass then figure that some of those particles that weren't visible to you are making up the dark cloud in your cup that cup is going to be more robust it's going to be more dense and likely one flavor Oh. Between somewhere between coffee and roasted wood depends, you know. Wow. So yeah. So the process that you use when you when you roast beans, uh, it's an it's an air roasting process, and you've told me that you only drink air roasted coffee because of you know you don't care for drum roasted beans. And before you answer this question, I'm going to ask you if yeah. if air roast is as good as you say, it, it begs the question. Why isn't there more air-roasted coffee on the market? It's harder to do. You can't do as much of it as quickly. And to do air-roast, like, for instance, you take a drum, and you can put, you know, 20, and go up to 200 pounds uh, on these massive drums that do commodity coffee. But with air-roasted coffee, you can, it would take so much of an engine, of a fan, to blow that much weight into the air to and then control all of the points of that air so that the coffee beans heat up evenly so it'd be very difficult to to build something that large and, and control it but those those air roasted uh coffees or i should say i should say those those um drum roasted coffees are tend to be big style coffees that they have burly broad shoulders okay yeah. They are rich. They're overwhelming. This is how it was marketed across America and Europe. Uh, the question is why. The answer, I think, is easier. It was easier to serve a consistent bag, uh, a consistent bang of the drum than it is to hit the perfect note of the flute as analogy, as an analogy, right? Yeah, and air, roast, air roasting doesn't burn the beans. It doesn't. I mean, you can burn the beans if you go too long or too hot, okay? But the same carefully roasted coffee can evoke rich stone fruit or florals if the roaster is off by five degrees at the, all at the wrong time. If you, if you just push a button and blacken the bean, it all tastes the same. 
it's it's roasted from the outside in versus the inside out. And when you roast it from the inside out, you're developing all the sugar that the coffee has to give you. And you wind up not scorching the skin of the bean. But because in drum roasting, you're depending on the metal to touch the bean, to heat the bean toward the center. The, that means that the exterior of the bean has to get hotter huh. and, and go inward. And so what you consequently have is a flavor of smoke. Uh, it does smoke a lot more. It's trapped. And I hope that's not too long of an answer no. between the two. But, you know, you will never know uh, from, from a label. Yeah, because I've never right, cause right, the, I've never seen on a label whether it says air roast or drum roast. But if it is air roasted, they would definitely say air roasted. No, or am I wrong? Uh, you know, I don't, but I think that I should plan to do that. Right, because no one puts drum roasted on their packaging, and you seem pretty down on that. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say that I've ever tasted... Uh, that I've never tasted good drum roast because I have just assuming that it was drum roast, you know? Yeah. But I, now that I'm so specific and so far off in the weeds of roasting, I, I don't see myself liking <laughs> drum roast yeah, unless, right. <laughs> unless I meet one, you know? Yeah. Well, you mentioned specialty roast earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, of course, you know, they hear words like this, they're going to think, well, just another marketing term designed to take yeah. a few extra bucks out of my pocket, right? And what could be so special about it? I just, you know, some people just want a cup of coffee and get on with their day without having to spend more than 10 bucks for a bag of beans. Could you separate the waters for me and my listeners on this? <clears throat> well, specialty coffee growers and roasters came along about 20 years ago. And they still make up a really small, very, very small percentage of the whole coffee market. Maybe. <laughs> I would doubt if it's even 2% because the coffee market's so big. 2%? Yeah. I, I don't think specialty coffee is greater than – there's probably a, somebody who has the stat. Uh, I'm not that person, but I would be surprised if it's more than 2%. Uh, but I think that more discriminating drinkers and buyers are catching on, and it's a lot like wine in this respect. The artisan coffee drinker does not want to spend 50 cents – on a cup of uh, homebrewed cup that he'll pour into the sink versus 25 cents more a cup that he'll sip all the way to the cold bottom of the finish. Yeah. One tw- coffee is 25, 25 cents for that big of a difference. For that big of a difference. Cause, because if we just say, if we just agree that $10 a bag coffee for the most part, okay, for the most part yeah. is not specialty coffee, and then it inches towards specialty coffee when you hit 15. Now, I do have specialty coffee at 13, you know, that I got a really good deal on and I'm really careful about roasting. Right. Uh, but somewhere in that price range is where specialty coffee begins. And then it goes all the way to $100 a bag or more, depending on how rare it is. But this is where specialty coffee splits from the commodity coffee that we're talking about. This is where the standards have been set. Uh, at Elevator Roast, me, myself, I'm about getting the party started. Yeah. <laughs> My beans are accessible to the customer. Right. On the bag, the responsible, the ethical information in the cup, how Mother Nature intended for that to taste. Uh, Phil, I don't think you have to be a sommelier to love a good wine. And... By and large, most people 
use price point versus knowing how to taste flavor. Their limit uh, of $12, for instance, for a bottle of wine can still produce a good wine versus just a good buzz. It's the same way with coffee. I'm not about to tell someone to change. You know, if, if they enjoy drinking Folgers and that's their jam, drink Folgers. But try this and just see maybe, you know, you're missing something. Maybe there's something here for you that you didn't know existed. Right. You know? And I'll tell you, dude, <laughs> I hear you talk. And the way you describe all this, it, it's like it's like coffee university. Like you got to go to seminars, <laughs> you know, sit through TED Talks in order to, to know a good cup of coffee from a, a you know, third world pond water that you're drinking, right? <laughs> there, there has to be a way for the unsuspecting consumer, like my friends, yeah. to know a good cup from a bad cup. That's a great question. That's a great question. I, I think that, you know, I'm not an expert in a lot of other food groups. Um, oh, I, I beg to differ on that, dude. You're a big, well, huge I foodie. Mean, I mean, again, I would go to the top of the show and, 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 and quote me and say, everybody knows their own palate. Okay, so I know my own palate. And that doesn't make me uh, a scientific expert. Like, I've really studied this matter. And among the other things, among the other ways that I mentioned... Think about this for just a second. Right. It's a great question. It is something very every person can do is determine the difference between, you know, a good cup and a bad cup. That is just that all coffee is not the same. A long, sweet finish is better than a salty one. Right. That's easy to remember. That's right after you swallow the coffee. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. Uh, determine if it's salty or sweet. Salty is poor. Sweet is high quality. Just kind of wait and mentally count down. Uh, count how long you you still have the taste in your mouth. Okay, so aftertaste. Does it linger? Does it is it not leaving you alone? Is it inviting you to come back? The sweeter coffee will, for a longer time, hold on to you because of the acids I talked about. They're going to hold to your palate penny for minute of enjoyment. You take an hour to sip at the remaining ounces of your hot coffee gone cold, and you will swirl all that flavor as your cup ages. But not once, not once will it tire. And it's the tiring that determines what the poor quality is because the acids aren't there. So try this with a uh, fresh or less fresh um, or lesser quality cup. You won't have that experience. It turns to soy sauce. And if you run into soy sauce for coffee, yeah, you know you should have bought the bottle of soy sauce. It's My a, biggest yeah. takeaway is for you, Phil. To drain pour, drink fresh roast. I I do I do hammer on that. Do the reading. It's on the label, or it should be on label. If it's not on the label, don't buy it. Right. You shouldn't be buying old bananas. Go the ahead. difference. The difference is, again, the difference is if you're brewing at home, a ten dollar bag is fifty cents a cup. A $15 bag is 75 cents a cup. And most people don't think that they should have to spend $15 for a bag of coffee. Right. Okay, then. Then it's soy sauce for you. <laughs> well, not to sound like a soup Nazi, but that's, it's just like $10 is not likely to cover the grade of coffee because the price for that bean is much higher than it is for that low-line 300-meter grown bean that was harvested in like four months. 
I don't, I don't think people just don't know what they're getting themselves into when they buy a, a bean they've never had before or try something new. And you've got all these, there's all this clever marketing going on. Roasters use clever names like fog lifter. You got black rifle, extreme uh-huh. brain blaster, some bizarre shit that you've never, you know, you expect this stuff from craft brewer. You don't expect it from coffee, but I mean, it's a joke. But then I take a look at the names of some of your roasts. Mandalay Katura, Brazilian Peaberry, uh, my favorite Tiamo. Give us the down low on naming your coffee because it all sounds really elegant. Posh. So I, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of approach this this way. Blends can be landmines because you are mixing varietals, and it begs the question: Why? Varietals are distinctly different. So I would ask you, Phil. Would you cross a Pinot Noir with a Chardonnay? No. And then sell it as Phil's Foglifter. Right. And so when you you come across, uh, you know, blends are a big deal uh, among coffee roasters and even... Phil's, Phil's Foglifter? That sounds like Phil's puke maker, man. <laughs> There's, there are some companies that that are called specialty coffee companies and all they do, all they offer is blends. Hmm. And what they're trying to do is create their own flavor. Um, and I guess if that's a really good flavor, then, um, then I'm sure that it's good. I mean, I, I came out with Tayamo, which is a, uh, I'll be open about it. It's just no secret to it. It's, um, it's Peruvian, uh, Brazilian and Ethiopian. So it's three really, really neat, kind of tasting beans all by themselves, they all come out of my lot that I sell huh. separately. So I make them from that. And people love that coffee. When it, when it goes together, it doesn't taste like any of them. It tastes like something else. And that's the way to approach a blend. Yeah, you know, it confuses me about people because I, I've fallen into this myself. In my experience with, with food, stuff like that, I realize that coffee's a craft, right? And it doesn't cost that much more than the disappointing cups of coffee that I've had that are stale and, and drabby because I, I didn't follow my own advice of not knowing what's inside. I do it with food, but I didn't do it with coffee. You know, and coffee that's more expensive than yours. I mean, stuff I've had uh, that I expect is going to blow me away, it, it just doesn't meet the requirements. So it's not you get what you pay for every time. You spend all mm. this money on coffee, right? And you figure you're going to get blown away by it. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that if you prepared, say, pasta, for instance, you'd, you'd, you'd come to similar conclusions and, and then similar solutions there too. I think that's a really great point. And at the end of the day, isn't it fair to say that um, if you're just better building off a relationship with the coffee roaster? That doesn't mean you have to know him. But if that coffee roaster has a website or if your coffee, coffee roaster has a shop right. uh, that you visit – and offers a large variety. What what is a large variety? Is that forty beans, or is that twelve beans? Well, I would say start with twelve because that could be you might wind up buying yourself twelve bags a year, and they are all different. Or you might you might repeat four of them. On my food show, I used to tell people all the time: uh, get a relationship with your butcher, know your butcher, and you know ask a lot of questions because they like that. 
And, you know, they'll be able to answer certain questions and tell you, you know, what they suggest you have. And they can talk about the animals and they, they may know the farmer or, you know, something like that. So what yeah. you're saying is basically the same thing. And it get to know your roaster, ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you do the reading, it doesn't mean that you had to read an encyclopedia about it. But if you went to the website and you found out it was air roast versus drum roast and why you prefer that, I don't say think it's better, but you prefer it, uh, then you've solved that. Small batch means highly controlled roasting. Hmm. What is small batch roasting? Well, small batch roasting can be anything right around 10 to 12 pounds or under. Okay? Yeah. Large batch roasters don't ever mention. Okay, so you might see labels that say small batch roasted but you'll never see a label that says large batch roasted. All <laughs> and right. the reason why is you can't control all of that roast unless you just burn it. And, you know, it's it's a lot harder to do. Uh, small batch roasting, you have more control and you can get very finer. Remember, a coffee can go very wonky by five degrees. So you hand control the cook through the three stages of the cook. Otherwise, uh, ruined roast with great beans. I mean great beans. It can taste like cardboard. All of our tastes, Bill, are different. Right. You know, but for me, when I think about a sound and quality coffee, it was always about the balance and the longing on the palate. I would take those two, I would take that phrase and just keep it. You know, make sure it's not salty, make sure it's sweet, make sure it's balanced and longing. And I would really encourage people to embrace that philosophy when they're drinking because it's a cup of love you get for just 75 cents. Yeah, also, and I don't want to not, I want to make sure that we don't forget this. When, if you order beans from Elevator Roast, you're going to get a hand-roasted bean. I mean, he's going to go in there and roast your beans for you. It, and you might be the only one, or if he's got several orders that day. But each batch is roasted for you and then packaged, and then shipped immediately. So when you get it, it's super fresh. So no, this is hand-roasted coffee. You know, it's it's an artisan, a craftsman, making coffee for you. It's not like, it's you cared. know, right? Sorry. I mean, yes, it's cared for. Yeah. You know, the, the coffee is very caringly controlled and sent out. And, you know, I sometimes get as many as 10 people in one day ordering three to five bags at a time. It's not that hard to do. I'll always say that. It's also not that hard to do one order that has 150 bags to it. Not that hard to do uh, because I have the equipment to do it. Right. But, uh, you know, having having that kind of care and control, the person, I mean, yes, that is me. But if somebody likes light roast, there's a lot of flavor there and more caffeine too. But, you know, you don't see a lot of light roast offered. No, that's true. And some of the light roasts that you've made, I, I just couldn't believe how much brightness there was in there. And um, the, the flavors, like I was always a dark roast fan until right. I had one of your light roasts, you remember? And that's you're like, right. Phil, you've been drinking burned beans all this time. Yeah, there's, you know what, it, with my last website, I didn't have the kind of um, control that I wanted. And with this new website that I came out with uh, 10 days ago, I really hammered down, like I know that a bean, like I would get some orders and people would want that dark roast and I would have to always email. I go, are you sure? Because it doesn't taste that great as dark. It, it sort of burns the sugar out. Right. And invariably the person would say, 
Yes, I still want it dark. Well, now I just don't even offer certain roasts as dark, nor would I offer certain roasts as light. I make sure that that if you are given the choice of just medium, that's because that's the only good way it roasts. In other words, it's not a good result. I'm glad you mentioned uh, this, your, your website. I want to talk about Coffee Lab. Now, Coffee Lab, uh-huh. it's a section on your, your new site. Uh, it's basically, it's a collection of blog posts. Let's discuss what my audience can expect to read uh, in Coffee Lab. Wow. So, you know, I have just scratched the surface on this. I mean, it has all the principles in very short order form with a bunch of recipes and techniques. But again, I keep it short, very concise of what you need to know to understand how to brew, how to store your coffee, uh, grind size and the right and and what that grind size is for when you're brewing. Uh, Storage is really important. Cold Mm. brew does, you know, everybody's crazy about cold brew, but what don't you know about cold brew? Right. I, I write about that. Sure. French press, hugely, hugely popular method. Is there something better than French press? Actually, there is. The software tells us so. Where will you find that? You'll find that under immersion brewing. So I go over all of these points in there, and I'm going to expand on Coffee Lab uh, very soon to go into deeper and deeper dives, kind of like what we have today. Right. Hey, if you guys go to the website, you're going to see there are roasts in there with the word pea berry in it. And uh, the intro, I kind of threw that intro in there at the beginning of the show to just kind of make fun of that. Uh, let's educate people, Chuck, on what pea berries are and what makes them different from you know, ordinary roasts. So <laughs> pea berries are, are little mutant ninjas, you know. Uh, pea berries are, are, I like to say on my website, they're smaller and cuter, but they're also noticeably sweeter than the standard issue flat bean. The pea, you know, when, when the bean comes out of the, the cherry, uh, it splits itself in half automatically it just comes in half and everybody knows what a coffee bean looks like a pea berry is round and it's not split in half and it's very small it's about half the size in fact so when people see the pea berries and they've never had it before they always write back they're so small and cute yeah right (laughs) so the pea berries being so dense it's it's mandatory that when i'm roasting a pea berry that I really go slow and I extend the drying phase, not to get technical, but I, I'm really careful because they are loaded with sugar. They're very dense and there's a lot of character in a pea berry. They're absolutely delicious. They will spoil you from other beans. You've had them. Oh yeah, I've had, well, I'm going to talk about one in a minute here too. They're, they're, they're amazing. They're so good. I mean, they're, the flavors I've tasted, I think the full gamut of flavors, but in some of these, you taste chocolate, you taste just uh, really rich cocoa flavors and, and peanuts, and sometimes caramel comes out. And it was actually the Brazilian pea berry that I talked about, you know, this cup of coffee I had that I didn't need to put sugar in it. That was the one. That's the one. Right, because it was so sweet. R- almost ruinous. Yeah, and it really was, it completely ruined me. Hey, everybody, everybody listening, quick show of hands. How many of you out there are brewing K-Cups? You know, the Keurig and uh, what's the other one, dude? Uh, Clooney does a commercial for Nespresso. 
right? Espresso. Right. It's a convenient way to make coffee. If you want coffee, you're in a hurry. You fire the machine up. You stick a pot in. You press the start button. In about a minute, you got a, a, a really good cup of coffee. You know? No, no it just it doesn't work that way. And I don't want to sound like a snob, you know, even if I'm a snob. I've got friends who have these machines, and they'll make me a cup. And I'm hoping that they're not listening right now. And I'm not joking when I say this. Every time, they'll like pour the cup, and they go, hey, what do you think? And I'll say, well, it's not horrible, right? Because I'm, drink, I'm drinking the stale cup of coffee, dude. And I don't want to hurt their feelings, you know? But I, I'd rather, look, I, I'd rather you send me a dick pic than serve me that, that cup of coffee again, <laughs> you know? Because then they'll come over to my place, dude, and I'll, I'll grind fresh beans. I'll make a nice pour over for them. And every time they comment how great the coffee is. And I'll, I'll point to what I'm doing. I go, look, I'll show them. It costs maybe $20. You can low-tech the system. Maybe even less than that. You've got a fantastic cup of coffee every day, and it just takes a couple of minutes. So can we tell the audience why spending three to four minutes to brew a cup of four-over is a, such a much better idea? Because this K-cup thing just drives me nuts. Yes, and I'm going to be pretty short about this. First of all, to fire up the K-cup machine and to get the finished cup done is roughly two minutes from the time... You fire up from the time you you have to go get the pod, insert the pod, get the cup, put the cup down, make sure that the water is filled. You're talking two minutes. So let's just resolve to say it's two minutes. And we're going to also resolve to say it's four minutes for a pour over. Because while your pot is heating eight ounces of hot water, which takes you, you know, all of one minute, you're measuring 16 grams of coffee, of beans, and you're throwing it into the grinder, grinder, which takes eight seconds to grind. Okay, oh, yeah. so no time is really that. All the time spent is just pouring. You know, slowly pouring till you get to about a three minute or a three minute thirty pour. Right in there, it's on my website, and I'm about to expand on pour over using this device called the Mellow Drip. But the the concept is, you know. The water is all flowing in one way, except that that coffee that you got in in the um, in the K cup, it's not specialty coffee unless you just luckily happened upon a specialty coffee. But it has if it if that you have no way of knowing if they injected uh, nitrogen right to keep to keep it fresh, right? And that would be the only way, and that's the only reason why Nespresso little Nespresso pods taste as good as they taste. Now, while I would say that I have an espresso machine and I haven't used it in years, it tastes acceptable for what it was. But is it a good espresso? Absolutely not. Yeah. It just sort of hits the standard. It all depends on what your standard is for your morning. Me, when I wake up foggy, the one thing that I want is that 30-minute romance with a hot cup of coffee and... And the, my and my newspapers on the, on the website. Right. I mean, that's what I want to wake up to. It's I, I I curl up to that. Hmm. I think a lot of people do. Yeah. So, no. It's so it's a it, it's it's ceremony moment, like tea. Moment. Huh? You know, for I'm sorry, but you know, for seventy five cents, you know, K cups are more than seventy five cents. But for seventy five cents, I'm going to have a really good cup of coffee instead of a standard issue piece of cardboard that i'm going to drink right now a pretty wide range of prices i'm looking here 
on your website, prices, your beans. Uh, if you compare some of these prices, yeah, you know, you're not priced that you're not priced higher than these other artisan roasters. And you've got really cool additions. You get this new one, Jamaica Blue Mountain Peaberry, which I've mm. I've had. You send it to me. It's the holy grail. I'm not kidding. Even that bean, which is notoriously nose bleedingly expensive. If you've ever had this, if you ever looked for it, it's like like it's one of those hundred dollar bag beans. This still you got this is priced about twenty five percent less than you you pay anywhere else. I, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's easily twenty five percent less. Um, I think it's because it's the pea berry again. You know, Jamaica Mountain Blue, Blue Mountain. I mean, yeah. Um, it eighty five percent of it goes to Japan, so fifteen percent of it is left to export to the rest of the world. Wait, so Japan. Wait, Japan gets how much? Eighty five percent of oh all God. of all the Blue Mountain goes to Japan. Why? So now, so unless you're in Japan, where there's a lot of it, there's none of it for everybody else. And so the price goes up high, but that's not the reason why the price is so high. The price is, it's somewhat outrageous. Like my coffee, I made them into six-ounce bags so that people could enjoy it as a splurge coffee. It works out to about $4 a cup. It's absolutely delicious. I call it ruinous because I always say be careful of a good thing because too much of it will spoil right. your time for other things, you know, that are more normal. This is that good. And it'll, I don't know. How did it leave you? Did you, did you ever want to go back to regular coffee again? Somebody treated me once to a, a very small amount. I think it was less than a finger of um, Napoleon brandy. And it was, it was this, it's like an $800 bottle of brandy. Yeah. And, it was exceptional, and I'm not a really. I mean, I've tasted brandy before, and it's not something I would go back to. It was I could I I knew I was tasting something special. There was something different about that, and I really enjoyed it. And I nursed it until it was done. That's what Jamaica uh, Blue Mountain was like for me. It was just a, it was an ethereal experience, and I every day that I had it, I I knew I was I I, t- I told myself remember this because. This isn't something you're going to have a lot of, you know, and it did set itself apart. And um, there were flavors in there that were much richer than other flavors I tasted in some of the other beans that you have, but also nothing was muted. You know, it was right there in your face. That's why I said it's it's for lovers. Yeah. It's for lovers and people who are in love should have it together. Um, It'll always remind you of that person you had it with. It's a moment in time. It's like, it's like, a, it's like that. It's like a romantic comedy. Yeah. <laughs> hey dude, I'm sure you got a, what's a bean, you got a bean on your site that's most popular or your bestseller? Believe it or not, my espressos are off the charts. Uh, the first parallel is clearly the first one. The liquid amber is the second and Tayamo, and they're all $13. I don't know if it has anything to do with being $13 but the fact that I just began selling the Peaberry series yeah. uh, a week ago, I expect the Peaberry series to give the Tayamo and the First Parallel a run for its money. Yeah, so the, the Brazilian Peaberry, I got to tell you, it, that's priced really well. I mean, that's not as expensive as you'd think it would be. Now, I made sure I wanted to keep everything under $20 because I, there was so much specialty coffee that ramped between $18 and $26. Yeah. And I wanted to be under that $20 figure and let everybody take a crack at that. And all those beans are different. Like for instance, 
someone asked me before they bought this week what the difference was. Uh, what was better, the uh, the Brazilian peaberry or the Kenyan peaberry? And the Kenyan peaberry scores higher than the Brazilian peaberry. But I said it depends. the 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 best answer is: Do you prefer uh, a rich fig-like experience, or do you like cocoa and milk chocolate? Because one, the Brazilian is more like milk chocolate with nugget, and the Kenyan is wildly fruity and mm. nowhere near the kind of chocolate. However, the Kenyan does great espresso. It's wild and exotic espresso. It's as a single origin espresso. So the Kenyan can be roasted darker and and is extremely lively, but it's fruity versus, so that all pea berries don't taste the same, uh, but they, they are all, they all share a density and a high amount of sugar concentration. All right, so there, there's going to be at least one person listening right now who's heard enough. They want to place an order with you, but they've never tasted your roast before. Could you give a suggestion as to what they might try first? If you want to break yourself into what specialty coffee tastes like, I would say go after Brazilian peaberry on the top end and be spoiled to death. <laughs> or come in at the Papua New Guinea. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, it is very, very balanced and even. And between its light, dark, uh, between its light, medium, and dark, it is very versatile. Uh, I'm drinking it right now uh, as a medium roast espresso. And because it's medium roast, it's more creamy than it would be if I roasted it dark to uh, make for a milk drink. And so the Papua New Guinea roasted medium for espresso, if you put it in your espresso maker and grind it yeah. fine, yeah. I can drink that as a ristretto. Me too. Straight up, and it is butter. Uh, so I think that's a great bean to break yourself in on. The Tayamo is just going to be a crowd pleaser because it's it's got complexity it's got a lot of mouthfeel. And of course, the, the Brazilian is going to it's going to knock you over. I just don't see how anybody will, will not fall in love with the Brazilian Peaberry. I haven't had one that I didn't like. But the three you just mentioned, I'd, I'd have those any day of the week. And also, you t- go look at the prices on the site. And then go to the grocery store and look at that three-month-old bag of Stumptown, you know, <laughs> hairbender that they're trying to bullshit you with and uh, get a fresh bag of these beans and stop screwing around. Yeah. Hey dude, I'm exhausted with the coffee thing. <laughs> we talk football for a minute. Oh, let's talk football. That Russell Wilson situation that's going on up there in Seattle with your Seahawks. How do you mm-hmm. see, how do you see the whole thing ending? I think that management has to either decide to go with Pete Carroll and the rest of the team decisions, or go with Russell Wilson, right? Because they're saying they're, they're saying they're either going to fire Carroll or or let him go, right? And I, I think that I think that if they go with Russell and and uh, and keep Carroll, it'll be with the understanding that Russell winds up with more control, like Magic Johnson did with um, the Lakers coach Paul Westfall. Oh, yeah. when Magic said, we, "I want to run," and Westfall said, "Okay, let's run then." Well, Russell says, I want to do this, this, and this. Pete's going to have to say that to the quarterback coach for the Rams, who just became the um, the warden, I think his name is, who just became. So anyway, I, I really think that if they had a choice to make right now, just a 
like a wholesale choice. It would be expensive. I mean, I would trade for Des- Dak Prescott. Oh, God. I think he's bigger, just as fast. He's he's crazy accurate. And don't forget, he was averaging between 400 and 415 yards a game before he got hurt right. last year. Don't forget that. I know. And the other thing, the other thing is he um it would even if they made a straight trade, they would have to pay Russell thirty nine million dollars in dead cash. I, I think I think Dak is great. He's a wonderful quarterback, and I think everything you said about him is correct. I think it would be it would serve Russell right for complaining. And any of you who don't or haven't been following the story, Wilson's pissed off because he's getting the shit kicked out of him, right? Because the offensive line they don't protect him. He's constantly getting sacked. And it's it's becoming troublesome for him because he's tired of it. If he goes to to the Cowboys, that offensive line is no better, and he's still right. he's going to get smeared back there. That's right. Yeah. Any way you look at it, if if he really just took Russell for his word right now and spent, you know, Mike Cupati's gone. But if you if you spent uh, another eleven million dollars per new offensive lineman and got three new ones in there, yeah you might have a really solid offensive line that where he never gets touched. Well, I'll tell you what, if Russell was smart, he'd get the hell out of there now because you know, JJ JJ Watt playing for Arizona, that's yeah. going to be miserable for him. And and Phil, he can escape one or two linemen per drop back, but he can't escape four who are getting getting into his zone. Right. And that's what's happening is they're able to close on him. Hmm. Yeah, I think he's an MVP. And and he's worth every penny. Sure. But he's left none for his teams. The, right. The hard part. He's taken so much money, they can't afford to, to pay anybody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember last year, NBA Finals, the Heat Lakers? And I don't know if you guys were following the story. Uh, Jimmy Butler, we call him Jimmy Buckets, uh, played for Miami. He was serving coffee out of his hotel room for like 20 bucks a, a cup or something. He's like a gourmet coffee you know, guru. And he's totally into it. I was telling you last year, dude, you got to send him some of your beans. If he makes I a, think I will. if he play if he makes the playoffs again, I don't know what. Even if he doesn't make the playoffs, send him some beans. See what happens. I'll send him a bag of my COVID special beans. Yeah, what's no. what? What are those? <laughs> if I had that one, That's, that would that would have to be uh, one of the pea berries because you can be in a room with yourself. Yeah, really, and and it could be a love moment if you know what I mean. Good Lord Almighty. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Hey, dude, thanks for coming on today, man. I really, uh, it's been great. I, I wasn't up to Oprah standards in my interviewing style, but uh, it was still, it was nice. This was fun. Yeah. Let's do it again. Hey, I wrote a limerick for you. You want to hear it? Oh, I would love to hear it. Here limerick. we go. Ready? There once was a man named Chuck who roasted coffee just south of the Canucks, the freshest of beans that the world had seen, and they give you the most bang for your buck. <laughs> nice, awesome. huh? Hey, tell the truth. That's pretty good. Tell me the truth. You were expecting me to drop the F bomb, right? <laughs> well, of course. Let's see course. What, what rhymes with Chuck. And I made it. The, I made the entire hour without using the F word. It would be a what rhymes with Chuck is maybe a two buck F bomb. Oh no! Oh boy! Yes. Hey, elevatedroast.com, everybody, dude. Thanks again, man. I love you. All right, love you, man. All right. All right. That was nice. That was great to talk to my brother. All right, that's the show for today. Thanks for hanging in there. It was a long one. Sorry. Music in this episode from Tambour Batant. If you like it, Amazon Prime Music. Just say, hey, Alexa, you crazy bitch. Play Tambour Batant. Have a great week, peeps. I'll see you next time. <laughs>